The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. Again to the tabernacle. My name is John, and we are uh, in a series where we're studying a parable that Jesus told from Luke chapter 16. In fact, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open uh, to that book of the Bible. If you don't, we'll put it up on the screen. But it's important for us because at our church, we believe that there are no wasted words in Scripture. That every bit of it is inspired by God. It's God breathed, as it says. It says in the book of John that the Scripture cannot be broken. And then specifically, when we're looking at the things that Jesus taught us, it's important for us to pay attention. And in this series particularly, yes, there's a financial bent to it. In fact, that's a nice way of just saying it's about money, right? Which means that some of us are like, oh, why did I invite my friends for a money sermon, right? I mean, I've actually had people tell me, how long is this series going to go? Because there's some people I want to invite to church, but not till the money part's over, right? So we get so squeamish when we talk about money, but the fact is that we've all been given a certain amount of money, and the fact is Jesus had a lot to say about money. To be honest, as a church, as Christians, I I think collectively we need to grow up a little bit, right? Because we always think that, oh, you can't talk about it, you can't, nobody tells me how to spend my money. Well, there's already a cancer right there. We'll get to that here in a second. Do you know that Jesus committed 10% at least 10% of his teaching, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you can look it up, at least 10% of his teaching had to do with money. In fact, he spoke more about the sin of greed than he did about sexual sin. Be careful, church, in North America. What do we love to talk about? What sins do we want to highlight? What sins do we pick it against? Well, they better not have any of those kind of people here. Yeah, Jesus had a lot more to say about how we spend our money even than sexual sin. Maybe it's because there's a connection between our money and our hearts. God knows that there's a connection. And so this is a story that Jesus told. And and in this story in Luke chapter 16, the point is he wants us to be shrewd, to be wise, to be astute 
to invest it well, to be a little bit creative and to have a strategy. Some of us don't have that strategy. I'm reminded of a story uh, of a man who was very, very, very wealthy, but he was also very, very stingy. He didn't want anybody to tell him how to spend his money. He didn't want anyone uh, 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 to have his money. He didn't want to share his money, right? And so he made his wife promise him that when he died, she would take all of his money and she would put it in his casket and he would be buried with it. And this woman promised him that she would. Sounds pretty foolish, doesn't it? So this wealthy, stingy man, he dies. The funeral comes. The widow's sitting on the front row with her best girlfriend. And at the end of the service, it comes for the time for the casket lid to be closed. The undertaker gives her the nod and she comes up with a box. They make a little room and they put it in the casket. And then they shut the lid and off he went to be buried. After the funeral, her girlfriend says, you didn't do that, did you? You didn't take all the money and put it in that box and bury him. She says, I sure did. A promise is a promise. I wrote him a check. One for the ladies, right? (laughs) Now that's shrewd. And we're called to be shrewd with our money. Not to be dishonest, but to be shrewd. No one's cashing that for a while. So Luke chapter 16, this is a story that Jesus told. Don't miss the point of the story. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. And how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with great responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, 
or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, a couple things before we dive further into that parable is number one, this message is for everybody. This isn't just for the rich guys. I hope the rich guys are paying attention because we've got a building to pay for. This is for every single person. This is not just for the adults. Students, this is for you. Children, this is for you. In fact, one of the big problems we have in the United States of America right now is children are not properly trained in how to handle money and then they become part of the workforce and become college students and our debt grows and grows and grows because we haven't trained them. We've given to them and we haven't trained them how to be responsible. So this is for adults, this is for students, this is for children because we all have something. This is for rich, this is for poor, and everyone in between. Because this has to do with the heart. This has to do with the heart. This is not class warfare. Secondly, we've based this entire series on a sermon from the 17th century preacher John Wesley. Sorry, 18th century. John Wesley preached a sermon that said that the biblical Christian, in order to honor God with his wealth, should gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And if you missed last week, Pastor Brian shared with us that it's biblical to gain all you can. Some of us shy away from that. Oh, that sounds like greed. No, greed is different. Gaining all you can means using the most of your resources, most of the time that you've been given, the abilities that you have, and the opportunities that you have to gain all that you can. Work is biblical. And scripture says, when you work, you should work as unto the Lord. So when you work, you work as if you're working for Jesus, not Taco Bell. So I don't care if you're working for Taco Bell, or if you're self-employed, or you own your own business. You work as if you're working for Jesus himself. So we gain all we can. Today we're focused on how do we save all that we can. And the occasion of this parable is that there's an employer... And the man that he's put in charge of handling his finances, he believes is wasting his money. So I got a clue for you. In the parable, God is the owner. Who's the manager? Us. We're the manager in the story. And he believes this man's wasting his money. And the quick recap of the story is the man starts to panic. He starts to panic. I'm going to be fired because I've been wasting the owner's money. So he does something very shrewd, very strategic. While he's still responsible for his manager's money, while he still has authority for his manager's money, he gets after it making friends, doesn't he? Because he doesn't want to dig ditches and he doesn't want to be a guy on the street saying, I served in Vietnam and here I am fired and, you know, that sad story. He didn't want to beg. So he starts going to all the people that owe his master money and reducing their debt while he still has the authority. Hoping that when he gets fired, he'll get a job managing someone else's money. And Jesus tells him, good job. You're shrewd. Many Christians are like, well, this is appalling. That's dishonest. Is it? He had the authority to do it. He had the responsibility And he was commended for using money to buy friends. And Jesus says something that blows my mind in here. 
And it should really kind of stick us. And I'm not saying this. Jesus is saying this. He goes, the children of the world, non-Christians, are more shrewd than the children of the light, Christians, in handling of their money. He rebukes us. He calls us out. He goes, use your money the way the world does, shrewdly. Have you ever noticed this? You have a non-Christian friend that invites you to dinner. A non-church friend that maybe they've got some questions. I notice this all the time. They want to go for coffee. They want to go for lunch. If they're not a Christian, they almost always insist on paying for my meal. I've noticed that. Have you noticed that? Thanks so much for taking this time. No, 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 I got this. I got this. No, 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 I got this, man. Why is it that when I go with my Christian friends, the majority of the time, not all the time, but the majority of the time we go Dutch? No, 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 this is my bill. This is my coffee. No, 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 you got those hors d'oeuvres, right? Why is that, Christians? Because we're not shrewd. We're not shrewd. I'm getting ahead of the story. So if I'm supposed to gain all I can, how do I save all I can? Well, the first thing we have to understand, this is the first thing that we have to get through our heads. In fact, it's probably the most important point of the message I'm giving to you right at the beginning, is you have to respect the owner. We have to respect the owner. If you don't get this point, the rest of the message, in fact, the rest of the series, you're not even going to understand. This is the point that the whole series rests on. You must respect the owner. In the story, the manager respected the owner. He was in fear for his job. He had to give an account. He knew that he was going to be fired. He had respect for the owner. Now, prior to the parable, he didn't because he was wasting the owner's money. What does that mean for us? Well, it says in Haggai chapter 2, verse 8, something very interesting, and for some of us, it may may be life-changing. In Haggai chapter 2, verse 8, God speaking, he says, The silver is mine, And the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. What silver? What gold? All of it. I mean, think about the implications of that statement. The silver is mine. Who put the silver in the ground? Wake up, church. Who put the silver in the ground? Who put the gold in the ground? And then we just bumbled in and, oh, look what I found, a nugget, right? Then I need the outlaw Josie Wales to come in and defend me from it or whatever, right? Sorry, that was a Western analogy for those of you that don't watch TV. Okay. God put the silver in the ground. God put the gold in the ground. It's his. He made it. He created it. He owns it. It may be in your pocket, but it's his. No, 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 I worked hard for that money. Who made you? Who made who? Now we're quoting ACDC, sorry. (laughs) God made you, gave you your talent, gave you your ability, gave you breath in your lungs. And just in case you were wondering, yeah, you worked hard and that's great, but the silver is his, the gold is his. And just in case we were wondering, he wrote it down in Haggai chapter 2 verse 8. It says in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, including your truck and your home. 
and all of your stuff, including your retirement account, including stuff that you're going to make in the future, it's all His. See, some of us, we hang on to wealth like this. Oh, we might give God a little tip. We might give a little charity to somebody else. But we hang on to stuff like this. If you're going to save all you can, you must start by respecting the owner of everything and realize we hold everything we have like this. It's His. It's all His. And the moment we fall into the trap of mine, 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 The enemy gets a hold of our hearts. And a little bit every day, we close God out. We start believing the lie that somehow I deserve better. You see, if I'm a manager of somebody's money, or if somebody, you know, just going throughout my week, someone says, hey, are you going by there? I I can't leave the office. Here's a $50 bill. Would you pick me up some lunch? Yeah. Yeah. I don't go and take that 50 and buy him a little snack at the general store and then buy myself a three-course meal and pick up a rake because I need it for my leaves in the backyard and come back and give him five bucks. Bro, is that a $45 chicken nuggets from general store? You don't trust that guy with your money, do you? Somebody hands me a $50 bill and I go pick up lunch for them. I make sure that it all comes back, all the change, right? That's respecting the owner. Reminds me of a story of a, a mother who was trying to ch- uh, train her young son uh, uh, to, to, with his allowance to make sure that some of it went to God. But the boy didn't want to give all that money to God. He was saving up for something else. But she was like, nope, you, gotta, you decide that amount. And when the offering plate comes by, you got to put it in. Well, it comes time for church. They're taking the offering, and here comes the bucket. And the little boy had the money, and it's poised right over the bucket, and he didn't want to let go of it. And everybody's kind of waiting, and the usher's like standing there, and he's just looking at that money. I want to save that money. I want to give that money. And all of a sudden, his mother hissed at him. She goes, you drop that in there. You don't touch that. Don't keep that money. It's tainted. That's tainted money. And the boy dropped it, and the bucket went by. Church was over. He said to his mom, he goes, Mom, why did you say that money was tainted? Was it dirty? She goes, no, it wasn't dirty, but it taints yours, and it taint mine. It's the Lord's, Right? Ah, he was evidently from Tennessee or someplace like that. Money's not inherently tainted, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils, what the Bible says. Not all evil, but all kinds of evil. And can I say something else? Because this always happens. If you're sitting here today and you don't have a lot of money, be careful. Be careful. Because you can look at this message and go, well, this isn't for me. Some of the most greedy, money-obsessed people I have ever met don't have very much. And this parable warns us. He says, uh, if you've been entrusted with little, if you've shown yourself faithful with little, you'll be shown faithful with much. So it's not about who has and who hasn't. It's being faithful with what I have and respecting the owner. So if I'm I'm going to save all I can, I must start with, it's all his. The gold is his, the silver is his, I respect the owner. Here's the second thing. If I'm going to save all I can, i got to figure out a way to cut costs. i got to cut the costs. That's one-on-one, right? If you want to save money, you got to figure out a way to keep expenses low. 
If I respect the owner and he's entrusted me with X amount of silver and X amount of gold, well, I want to do a good job of cutting the cost. The problem is, is as Americans, we don't cut costs very well, do we? We're a nation of debtors. When you're in debt, you're essentially a slave, right? And so when I say cut the cost, what I mean is this. If I make this amount of money, but I spend this amount, I'm a slave. I'm in debt. I'm living above my means. That's Econ 101, right? If I make this amount, but I'm going to spend this amount, someone's going to own me. It's not biblical to live above your means. As a nation, we've been living above our means for 30, 40 years. I don't care what party you're in, we're in real trouble. I'm pretty sure the Chinese own us. On paper, that's living above your means. It's not biblical. You can't cut the cost and save all you can if you live that way. So then this is what we do. We get a clue. We finally get out of debt. You pay it down the credit card. You own your own cars. You go to a Dave Ramsey study, and then this is what you do. You go, oh, I'm going to live within my means. I'm going to live within my means. I'm going to make this much, and I'm only spending this much. There's a problem with that too. What's the problem? There's no room for love God, love people in there. There's no room for love God, love people if you live within your means. That's called paycheck to paycheck. Everything that comes in goes out. I'm trying to keep up with the Joneses, at least the Joneses that work at the same place that I do. So everything that comes in goes out. Your one financial disaster, one life-threatening sickness, one car crash, one lost job away from this again. This is just good financial sense, and I'm not a financial guru. So living within our means isn't, isn't the answer either. either. If I'm going to cut the costs, which it's interesting, that's what the manager did for his master's debtors in the story, I'm going to live beneath my means, below my means. If I'm going to make this much, I'm only going to spend this much. I'm going to leave room for a bad situation. I'm going to leave room for an emergency. I'm going to leave room to share with what I have. I'm going to leave room for God's portion that he's requested. The only way to do that is to cut the cost. How do I know how to do that? Well, this is classic. This is that classic discussion. Remember this as a kid? I remember fourth or fifth grade when they get the little money talk and they start talking between your wants and your needs. You guys remember that? Just, you know, wants and needs. Have you ever talked that about with your kids? Oh, that's why we're terrible. Okay, how many have heard about wants and needs? Yeah, okay, because there's things that I want or that I desire, and then there's things that I need. And having the wisdom to know where to put my money and where I can cut, that's important. Well, how do I know that? Well, Scripture's a great guide for us. In 1 John chapter 2, we get a couple of warnings about our desires, the difference between wants and needs. Chapter 2, 1 John, starting in verse 15, it says, Do not love this world, nor the things that it offers. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. So I'm going to save all I can, and I want to cut costs, How do I know where to cut? And honestly, 
My hope and prayer for this series is that every household represented here spends some time examining our hearts and examining how we use our resources. And we start by realizing who the owner is and respect that owner. And then number two, I think it's biblical for us all the time to look, hey, where can I cut the cost? Well, how do I know what to cut? How do I know how far to come down? Well, the author right there in 1 John chapter 2 gives us a clue. He says that there's three temptations we have to watch out for. The lust of my flesh, the lust of my eyes, and the pride of life. It was worded here in the NLT, a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. Well, what does that mean? The lust of my flesh is when I just use money to feed me physically. I'm not just talking about the needs of staying alive. I'm talking about, ooh, I want to spend money on that because that's just going to feel good. And when it's sinful, physical pleasure, eh, we need to take a hard look. Is that necessary? The lust of my flesh is what I want, not what I need. The lust of my eye is what you have that I want. That's where coveting comes from. And you see that girl with those shoes? Man, I got to have them shoes. Mm. Oh, that dude thinks he's got a big truck. You just wait till I trade this bad boy in. I'm going to get a lift that's an inch higher than his so I can look down on him and my tires are going to have more knobbies. Yeah, it's going to be gunmetal, right? That's what we do. And notice I said we, I didn't say you, don't walk out offended, you big baby. I'm talking about us. We feed the lust of our flesh, the lust of our eyes, and if we're spending money on the pride of life, that which makes me feel superior, eh, that's some of those things are things we could probably cut. So if I'm gaining all I can, and if I can respect the owner, I can cut the cost, maybe I can save all I can a little bit better. The last thing that helps us save all that we can is when we do use our money, we need to invest it wisely. We need to invest it wisely. That's important. I'm going to tell you something right now. We as a nation... We waste so much money, don't we? I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I I said we. I mean, I I have nightmares about this. Told you before, grew, grew up in one of the poorest nations on the planet. And there's times I wonder if we will not, as a people, stand before God and give an account for how we used his money. We didn't cut costs and we didn't invest it wisely. We spent it on ourselves while our brothers and sisters in Christ and other places lived in countries that are burning. They're burning. But Lord, we're just so thankful that we grow up in a country where we're free and where we're blessed. Well, isn't that a nice self Serving prayer.
we recognize it, and we thank God that it's them, not us. We're called to invest wisely. Now, be careful. There's two extremes here. One extreme believes that God blesses in order for me to be rich, wealthy, and happy. This is prosperity gospel. This is poison. If I obey God, love God, serve God, worship God, His job is to bless me, bless my efforts, bless my gaining, and it's all for me. That's one extreme. Some of us still believe that, that that's what God's here for. Then there's another extreme. Well, I'm not going to be that way, especially when John starts talking about Haiti like that. And I've been there too. So what I'm going to do is I'm, instead of prosperity gospel, I'm going to buy into suffering gospel. Right? I'm never going to buy a new set of clothes. In fact, I'm going to dress in burlap all the time. And I'm not going to pay for shampoo. I'm going to have dreadlocks and keep them together with manure. And I'm going to live on the street. And not only am I going to dress in burlap, but it's going to be a burlap loincloth. And that's how I'm going to the job interview, because I believe in a simple life like Jesus. I got news for you. Jesus didn't hang out in a burlap loincloth with dreadlocks with manure put together, okay? Those are two extremes we have to be careful of, to go opulent and lavish, or we go the other way and we go so simple we can't get the job because we look like a freak show, right? Here I am in my burlap loincloth in northern Michigan. Hire me for this job. Dude, you need shoes, Right? So how do we strike it right down the middle? At times, Jesus lived a lavish lifestyle. Spent a lot of time at rich men's tables, having a banquet. He had a woman break open on his feet a year's supply of perfume. What, or sorry, would have been a year's wages. And it was called a big waste. But he said, no, 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 she's spending this wisely. One time, Jesus was so lavish in his spending, he bought lunch for over 5,000 people. That's pretty lavish. I think he was just showing off in a good way, right? He was buried in a rich man's tomb, wasn't he? But he also never owned a home. When he went into Jerusalem, he had to go in on a borrowed vehicle. So how do we, like Jesus, save all we can? How do we do that? We invest wisely. Jesus tells us the point of this parable in verse 9. And that's what he's saying, invest wisely. He goes, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. I don't care if you're rich, poor, young, old, simple parable. Use what you have to make friends for ministry that one day will welcome you into heaven. Gain all you can. Save all you can. So you can give all you can. A friend of mine was telling me yesterday about his daughter. She'd gone off to school and it was wintertime in Michigan and she had the hat bought and the, and the coat purchase for her and her brand new mittens and all this stuff. And when he picked her up from church she, or from school, she didn't have her hat and mittens. Where's your hat and mittens? We just bought those hat and mittens. You got no hat and mittens. You lost them already? 
And the little girl said, Daddy, there was a little girl in my class that didn't have a hat and mittens, so I gave her my hat and mittens. Touchdown. Daddy's not mad. That's my daughter. We're getting more hat and mittens and we're getting ice cream. <laughs> right? Because it's a kid that gets it. Use what you have to bless others. We can get another hat and mittens. Right? This gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. What would happen if we were to live our lives that way? There's a story of a guy named John. He was born in the 1840s, upstate New York. His mother was a devout Methodist Christian. His father was a con man. When they split up, his mother moved him to Cleveland, Ohio at the beginning of the oil boom when they were finding uses for oil. Specifically, they were refining it into kerosene. That's how everyone was lighting and heating their homes. At age 20, in 1860, he had a job working in a small business where he learned basic accounting. He faithfully went to church, was a biblical Christian, and was exposed to gain all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. It so impacted him that he was able to save almost $1,500 as a 20-year-old guy in 1860 and actually loaned it to local farmers and was collecting interest. So at age 20, he was already seeing his money be built. By that time, he was keeping a personal ledger where he went through and wrote down every one of his personal expenses. He did his best his entire life to live as frugally as possible, to know where every dime went and not just waste it or spend it. He chose instead to invest it. I believe it was 1861 when he and another friend bought a refinery that was going out of business. He believed in his heart that he could get in on this business and he could figure out to make it better. And he was committed to gaining all he can, so he worked as hard as he could to make that business efficient. It became so efficient, within the first couple of years, he was able to buy 10 other refineries. And he figured out a way to cut costs in the refining process. One of the things he discovered is that the waste product from kerosene could also be sold as a brand new substance called petroleum jelly. So he's selling the waste that other people are throwing away and he's providing a product that is better than everyone else's product and it's cheaper because he was committed to providing a quality product at the cheapest price for the common man to have light in his home. Gain all you can. Save all you can. He applied that to his business. He found cheaper ways to build barrels. When the carpenters tried to jack up the prices, he bought out the carpenters union, made them all work for him so he could get the best price on making barrels to ship the oil. When lumber prices went up, by this time, he owned about 27 refineries. He decided to buy 100,000 acres of forest. That's an investment. So he could get the lumber at the cheapest price to make the barrels to ship the oil. When he saw other refineries going out of business, he would buy their business, hire the owner to manage that business, and keep all the employees, showing them a better way to save on the production so that the best product could go out for the common man at the cheapest price. History has vilified him. His name was John D. Rockefeller. Standard Oil 
became responsible for 3% of the entire U.S. economy. To this day, he's still considered the wealthiest American to ever live. At the time, he was the wealthiest man of the world, second only to God by a long shot. But he was committed to gain all you can, save all you can, And what a lot of people don't know is, you know, when the Sherman antitrust laws came in and they broke up his business and said, it's not fair, you're too good at making oil. You own everything. So they broke up his business. That's fine. He spent the last 30 years of his life doing what? Giving it all away. Because he believed in Jesus. And he believed God had put him on this earth to gain all he could, to save all he could, and give all he could. He was pathetic. The man at his wealthiest bought one suit a year and wore it all year. Wore it out and then bought another one. Man, can you not have two suits and send one to the cleaners? No. We're called to be the same way. To respect the owner. To do our best with discernment to cut the cost. And church, listen to me. It is not your job to look at them and tell them how they should cut their costs and vice versa. You do you. You do you. You let other people stand before God and they're responsible for them. And are they going to be more the lavish or more the simple? That's not your job. But what would happen if all of us would examine our own hearts and what does it look like to gain all I can and and with God's help to figure out how I'm supposed to save all I can? Why? Why? So I can give all I can. And loving God and loving people. I hope this week we'll spend some time examining our hearts that way. Next week is the big give. The band's going to come. We're going to sing. Here's your homework assignment. Do you respect the owner? Are there places you can cut? Are you investing wisely or are you just spending money? That's questions for all of us, this pastor and his family included. But next week, we do have an opportunity, and I believe it's a great investment. If you've been living under a rock, maybe you didn't hear, but next week, all the offerings in every single one of our services is going into the investment of T2, into this building right over here. And and, and we haven't told you this, but we're trusting God between now and January 1, we'd like to raise another $175,000. That'd be great. We we had a special offering here one year or a couple years back, and we had over 110,000, I think, was given in one day. We had another one last year and, uh, or about a year ago, and it was like somewhere between 40 and 50,000 when all the, uh, uh, the, the, you know, the offerings were counted. We're trusting God for something big. And we know that everything that we need, we have. Right? The silver is His, the gold is His. I hope that this week you'll spend some time asking God what He wants you to do. And if it's nothing, that's between you and God. You do you. But for all of us, what does it look like to cut waste, cut those costs? Make sure that we're investing in things that will last. Because one day, we'll stand before the king and one day we'll see people that we've invested in. According to Jesus' parable. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you would uh, continue as we leave this place to translate this message straight to our hearts. 
God, I pray that you would help us as men and women, as students, children, that we would remember who owns everything, remember that we're just stewards, we're just managers, we've just been entrusted, but ultimately it's all yours. God, help us not to waste it, but instead to cut costs where we can. God, help us not to just spend it, but to invest it in things that will last. God, I thank you that you severely cut the cost when you came to earth. That you lived beneath your means for our sake. God, I thank you that Jesus, you invested wisely into us. You entrusted us with this gospel, with this church, with this revival. And God, I pray that you would help us to do the same. Ultimately, for your glory, but also for our joy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And if you agree, say amen.